Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy, and joining me for this episode of Tape Notes are Everything Everything to talk about how they wrote, recorded and produced the album Raw Data Feel. Everything Everything are an art rock band from Manchester, consisting of lead vocalist John Higgs, bassist Jeremy Pritchard, lead guitarist Alex Robertshaw and drummer Mike Spearman. Emerging from John and Jeremy's ambition to form a band after studying together at university, they recruited John's old school friends Mike and Alex Niven to complete the lineup. After regularly gigging across the Manchester music scene, the band's innovative and off-kilter approach began to catch the attention of record labels, and in 2008, they released their first set of singles on Salvia and Young and Lost Club, the success of which saw them nominated for the BBC Sound of 2010. Around this time, Alex Niven left the band to pursue a career in academia, and former opera house guitarist Alex Robertshaw was recruited to replace him. Their debut album, Man Alive, arrived in August the same year, produced by David Coston. Praised for its versatility and originality, it was placed on numerous Best of 2010 lists and was nominated for two Ivor Novello Awards as well as the 2011 Mercury Prize. Always moving forward, the following releases saw them successfully bring different elements to their sound. The track Kimasabe from their popular offering Arc won Single of the Year at the 2014 MPG Awards and their darker fourth album, A Fever Dream, earned them a second Mercury Prize nomination as well as winning Album of the Year at the MPGs in 2019. When touring plans for their fifth album, released in 2020, were postponed due to COVID, the band refocused on new material, this time with guitarist Alex as producer. The resulting album, Raw Data Feel, released in May 2022, became their fourth album to reach the UK Top 5 and sees the band explore, amongst other things, the possibilities of AI in songwriting. Today, I'm at Fiction Studios in Farringdon, London, and I'm joined by John and Alex from the band. And what better way to start our conversation than by hearing something from the record? This is Metroland is Burning. It is Metroland is Burning by Everything Everything from Raw Data Feel, their new album. And I'm very pleased to say that I am in the company of Alex and John of Everything Everything. Hello. 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 It's great to have you here. And thanks so much for joining us here in Fiction Studios in Farringdon, which we have to mention because it's such an unusual looking studio surrounded by books. And in some ways, in my mind, that seems appropriate because I think of you as a very well-read band. Am I right in thinking that, though? Once upon a time. I haven't read a book in a long time. Right. I'm afraid. I mean, great vocabulary in all those songs, though, John. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah. Yeah. So we're here to talk about three tracks from the new album, Raw Data Feel, the sixth album from Everything Everything. So approaching this, what did you want to do? You've taken control, I think. Is that, was that a key part of it? Yeah, I mean, in the past, we've sort of done a lot of the 
production ourselves, you know, in a way, seemed like logical to sort of do it all ourselves at some point. Luckily, the band trusted me to sort of take the helm on it a bit. Right. So you, Alex, you took the producer's hat and put it on your head. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. so did they have to defer to you, <laughs> to your ultimate decision? I was expecting there to be more arguments, actually, but there wasn't. It was quite easy. And um, the guys were pretty like open to everything, to be honest. Yeah, we, we definitely trusted Alex. And we, um, like he says, we got pretty close to it in the past. Our demos are always quite... By the time we get to the studio, they are arguably up to the standard anyway. And I, I quite often prefer the demos. I certainly prefer desk mixes to the final mixed and mastered thing. I always have. But that's because you get very attached to the raw sounds as they go down and they only ever get more and more set back. I can't think of a good analogy, but they become mixed. a bit sanitized. Mixed, <laughs> if you will. Yeah, I like it when you know there's too many bases kind of clashing with each other and it's too loud and things like this. It's just the thing that happens that you... It's the difference between live music and recorded music too. It's a similar thing. Yeah, so you prefer that raw data feel, um, for want of a better description. Sure. Does that feed into the title at all? I mean, or are you playing with ideas there? You know, you've got raw data and feel, putting emotion. Yes, it's the raw feel. Raw feelings was what I wanted to capture somehow in the title. And there was a, a large technological AI, well, not large, but there was that element in it. And it suddenly hit me there was a, similarity between raw data and raw feelings. And then I mocked up a little image to sort of present the name to the other guys in the band. Cause I, I think just writing it in WhatsApp isn't good enough sometimes. And if I give them an image it might make them more inspired and I put raw and then underneath data and I was writing feeling, I was like, oh, this is too long. This is not punchy enough. So I just chopped it off and put feel and sent it anyway. And that was the one we all liked. Yeah, I love the idea that you do a presentation to the group. I think it works. I think it really makes a difference. If you just go end the stream of just text in a WhatsApp group that you can just glaze over when it's like an image and it looks cool, then it's much more inspiring, I think. Yeah. It's for me anyway. Fantastic. Um, we're going to look at three songs from the album. The first is Jennifer. Could we hear a blast of the master of Jennifer before we dig into it and see yeah, how it began? Let me find it on my... Here we go. It is Jennifer by Everything Everything and one of the first things that struck me about Jennifer when I first heard it was that little blues lick right at the beginning of the song and then that guitar line and almost kind of slide guitar, mm -hmm. all elements that I wouldn't associate with Everything Everything. It's like a, a new departure and then the, the song itself is much more straight ahead than some of your compositions in the past. Mm -hmm. It was totally by accident because the slide was the last thing that happened. And what actually happened was my, I was sitting at this computer I've got here and I have my interface and all my sort of stuff to the left of me in my house. And um, 
I've somehow managed to kick the switch for the light that sort of lights the room I work in. I managed to take out the power of the interface and I kind of leant over to plug it back in. And I just found this slide underneath the, um, just behind my, my desk, basically that I'd been there for a few years and I just thought, ah, oh, well, I don't know what to do in this song. So I picked it up and then just literally played the slide right then and there by accident, you know, just led to it. And then that was it really. Wow. Pure happen chance. Yeah. yeah. Because in a way, a slide guitar would have seemed anathema to everything, everything in a way. No, not an element that I would have thought that you would think of including. Yeah, well, I was a bit worried, not worried about this song, but it kind of felt quite straightforward, a song. And it kind of felt like something we would have heard from one of our contemporaries in like 2010 or something, you know, because I had that kind of like happy-go-lucky well, it was indie it's band that kind way of, thing. Of, of playing the guitars, the dun 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 dun, dun sort of thing. picky stuff, was yeah. Was exactly what was happening when we started the band, really. So it suddenly felt like if I picked up a slide, it sort of took it many years earlier than that, if you know what I mean. Hmm. I've never actually asked you about that guitar at the start. I just always accepted it. Well, the, the <laughs> being wheel. Yeah. Thing. Yeah, so what happened, <laughs> so that's just because I pressed play and record on my, on the computer and then I had the guitar on my lap because I was just recording myself. And it wasn't loud enough. And as I was leaning over to turn on the, the volume, I just like hit the guitar and made that sound by accident. And then I amped it up. Right. So it, I thought you literally went, do the dwell. No, no, no. It's literally just sort of like that. <laughs> right. Okay, great. And that's why you can hear so much noise and behind it, it's really noisy because it's just, it was so quiet. I just had to turn up like Johnny DB. <laughs> yeah. Right. And that's on the record, everyone. In fact, that's on the radio sometimes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It sounds great on the radio. I mean, one of the things that I think is really great about it is that it's a, a kind of surprise from everything, everything in that it, it seems much more straight ahead. It with is. all those elements. But it works really well. It works really well on the album as mm -hmm. well, where it's positioned. And I'm singing really low as well, particularly, mm. which is another thing we never do. And uh, it wasn't always thus. The first few versions of it, I was singing that verse. It would do the and then it would go up an entire octave for the next bit. So the whole melody just was just rising and rising and rising and rising, which is the kind of thing I would do and did do. But it was... It, <laughs> I mean, you've got it. I've got it. Yeah. I do have it here, yeah. It really changes the vibe. Um, so this is the very first demo? Probably no, not. Not even the very first demo. This is a bit later on. I've got the very first demo. Yeah, let's here. hear a bit of the first demo. So where, did the song start with you, Alex, then? It did, it did. But it was just, obviously there's no slide. Hmm. It was just called Fast Bruce. Yeah, because it was like a Springsteen-esque. Right. Presumably that's the Bruce you were referring to. Yeah, correct. You're very lucky with that uh, <laughs> demo title, by the way. Sometimes they're really unrepeatable. <laughs> I'm intrigued. Fast Bruce is, is fine. That's fine. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it, a, a lot of the um, early stuff. You know, these kind of ideas are like, I've just put my kid down to bed or something. I've got like half an hour. I'm just going to try and write something as quick as possible. And then you just come back to them and you think, are they worth pursuing or not? It's just, there's no chorus, so this bit, which would have been the pre-chorus, was actually just became, the, you know, was the chorus at this point. Some of the guitar parts are still the same. A lot of it remained, you know, a lot of these guitars that went down, you just sort of bring them forward and they just stay on the track, you know. And there's a bit of instrument, the original flutes there. That remained, yeah. 
That's a real flute. It's not a. It's no, it's played on an instrument. It's like a. It's like this touchboard thing. It's like gridded, and you can just sort of drag and. You can play it like like, a bit like a a Rolly Seaboard, but it's like more set up like a guitar format, like a cross. Right. And here we are at what you would later be called the middle eight, I suppose. So there's just no chorus. Yeah. Exactly. Or at least we, we, we considered there to be a chorus, but there isn't the chorus that we have now. It was yeah. quite amazing, actually, just opening these up. Yesterday, I was sort of laughing, at, you know, because they go through so many phases after this, and this is literally just this, the saved file from that hour, the hour that it existed for the first time kind of thing. It's quite cool. It sounds productive, hour. I mean, there's a lot of different things Yeah, going well, you on. should watch him go, man, when he zones in. Can't talk to him, but <laughs> stuff comes out the other end. Farts. I really like this sound. The um, there's this. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's yeah, cool. I really, really like that sound. So then you had created that in that spare hour that you had. Yep. Yeah. And then you would have sent it to John. That's next. right. I would send that to John. Yeah. And then a, I would I would try and interpret it, sing on it, maybe cut it up a bit. I don't think I did any of those things apart from singing it. Yeah, you sang on it. Yeah, I, th- I think it's here. And still, the chorus is not in this because the chorus was written in the studio. And I would just be singing nonsense words that mm. you know nothing, just trying to get a feel and a melody, usually something that felt good to me. Yeah, and I think it's here. Something that I get so John just sings whatever. It's just like made up nonsense. Mm. That's the same lyric that made it to the track right. there, but that would have just been completely ad-libbed. There's no edits in that vocal. Yeah. see how John works is on the actual file he just kind of like goes and then he's just like oh that shit and he just goes again and he goes yeah. again and then you just end up with these kind of like weird little blocks all the way down the whole the whole thing and I'm there f- usually when I get it I'm like dragging them out to see what he was doing in case there was something that was like actually quite good uh, back in vocals there yeah Similar, very similar, similar, yeah. Yeah. I think another iteration after this, I I had started singing low, but then kept the high bit of the verse, so you have this real ascension feel. And how long would you have spent doing that, John? Not very long. Yeah, I'm like a, half an hour. Impressed an hour. at the speed of, of all of this. I think it would be, I would give it a go until I thought it was good, and if I didn't, after a few goes, I'll probably just say to Alex, "Yeah, I'm not sure about that one," or mm. I'll come back to it, you know. And I would sort of mentally probably put it in the maybe nots. But what you kind of know when you know, I think, and when we both feel inspired, you know, over the same track, those are the ones that go on. Yeah. Because sometimes I'll send something to him and he just doesn't know what to do with it or doesn't do anything to it or 
changes it completely and I go, okay, I guess you didn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny process. Yes. We've got more ruthless, basically, as we've gone on with, you know, unless precious. Yeah. I think when we were first starting, it was more like, this is the song and, you know, I don't want you to, you know, mess it up or whatever. That's the thing. At this stage, what you just heard there, for example, there's no, I haven't put any of my feelings into it, shall we say. There's no real words. There's no, I mean, it's however I felt that day and however the song makes me feel, but it's not like this song's got to be the one, Alex, you know, we've got to see this one through because it's all about something really serious that happened to me or whatever. It's not, it's just a, a general sense of emotion and excitement or whatever, but we haven't grown attached to it enough yet to actually let the proper stuff in when you start to get really attached to songs. Yeah, because the decision-making then to take it lower, did that come with the lyric or did that come as you listened no, to No, there's, the there's a long-running sort of knowledge in the band that I will sing high on a demo every time. And maybe three albums ago, there were lots of discussions about, maybe you should sing a bit lower here, John, and you know, make it a bit more diverse. And those would be arguments quite often. And I would always just want to sing high, I've got to sing high, because I, I guess I don't think my voice is very special when it's low. And so I don't like doing it, or I didn't like doing it. So now I will try and sing low if I can, because it's unusual. And because I know there's you know, it stands out now mm. in our back catalogue or in a live show. And I've grown more accustomed to my voice when it's low as well. So I think it was just a question of making the song a bit more diverse. If I start right up there, there's nowhere to go. There's going to be no, all I can do is get louder and more annoying, you know? <laughs> so you've got to save that stuff up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so how did you make that decision with this song about going low you know in, in what so you, we've heard two different demos now the exchange we've heard the re, the initial idea then the riposte as it were to that or the response to that what happened next well, then we usually just have a big conversation about it you know we would probably then send it to the other two guys in the band if we hadn't already and see what they think as well yeah and they usually come up and then usually the three of us tell John, can you just try singing it low? Yeah. We do, it, we do it for like every single song. Yeah, every single song to the point where I don't even, I don't even feel like, I just expect it now. Mm, yeah. yeah. Just because, you know, if, if, it, if it works for one of them, then, you know, that would be different than yeah. some, some of our other songs. It's not, not because we want him to sing low all the time. It's just like, give it a go, mate. You know, what, is it, what will it sound like kind of thing? Yeah. yeah. And I, I mean, I relish the moments live now when I'm low because it gives me a break, to yeah. be honest. And uh, I think it gives the audience a break too. You know, it's literally a one note thing to just do the same thing in every song. You know? Yeah. So um, how did you then put this Yeah, what would be the next effect? version? Well, the next thing I've got is just, that's pre-studio. So that's what went into the studio. And then what came out of the studio is what came out of the studio with the other chorus, the new chorus. So what you just heard was what we took in. And then at the 11th hour, Alex said to me, there needs to be another chorus in this song. It hasn't got one. It's not good enough. Go away and write one. So I did. Um, Is it put as curtly as that? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. We yeah. said, can you write one? Not yeah. go away and probably. <laughs> yeah. So I did. I think while we were probably probably already starting to record some of it. And uh, that was what it was. It was that call and response thing that was meant to be sort of uh, Fleetwood Mac-esque. Which is again me singing quite low. If you give the, the backing vocals to the other two guys that yeah. sing. Which is here. Let me, let me find it. Because the pain in the end is all in your memory. 
Yeah, I want it to be like uh, Don't Fear the Reaper, where the way the vocals in that sort of overlap each other. No one person can sing that whole chorus. It has to be this overlapping thing. I really wanted that because it always feels like it could go on forever and it gives you a really sense of like looking into the horizon kind of thing. I wanted that thing where I have to have other people with me to make that chorus work at all. And it also has the sense of just this could repeat and repeat and repeat because it's got, you never get to the home chord, you're always holding off. So it's always sort of questing in a really nice way. Yeah. So this is the that section that you just played is that's part of the finished recording you created. Yeah, that's yeah. yeah so that's that, because you went into the studio. Where did you go to the studio? Where? So we did um, all the drums and the bass was done at um, Eve Studios in Stockport, and then all the guitars and synths and everything until the vocals was done in just my house, and then we went back and did the vocals at Stockport as well. Right. So was there a long recording session or a kind of a, a needs must situation? I don't know what we did. We did all the drums. Was it in two weeks, drums and bass, two weeks? Was I it? think so. Yeah, it was two weeks there. And then we did it. And then it was, John was, I think you were still writing. I was writing lyrics you while lyrics. bass yeah, and drums like, were going down. And then it continued, I think. And then we just kind of did it in sessions. So I would work on the tracks. And then when there was like three or four ready, I'd send, you know, we'd just go back to Stockport and sing the vocals on them and then. I'd come back and work on the tracks and then just keep doing that until we had them all done, really. Because mm. some were, some of the songs were just kind of like completely in pieces and just, we'd already decided, like Cut Up, for instance, was one of the tracks on the record. We'd already decided that we didn't, weren't even going to have that on the record. And then I was like, oh, come on, let's try this one more thing. And, and we just managed to pull that together in like the 11th hour kind of thing. And when was this? Because obviously Reanimator had in a way only just come out. You know, you hadn't had a chance to tour that record properly. Yeah, well, we didn't tour because of the, obviously because of the pandemic. Mm. And um, so we just kept writing, you know. Mm. Well, we wrote a bit. One of the tracks we get to, Leviathan, you know, that came on really early. But then most of the tracks that you hear are kind of, there was like a, we had a few shows, we were playing with Foles and I was just upstairs in the back of the bus, just like opening all these sessions of just like total scraps of ideas, you know bit like that, the one, the Fast Bruce one, but, you know, some of them even less developed than that, like, and just kind of trying to make them all work. Some of them in, like, different tempos and different keys or different, you know, three, four and a four, four track. Could they work together or whatever, you know, that kind of thing. Yeah, we, we got this really short deadline and it was only, like, three months or something, wasn't it? Three months? Or, I think. Yeah. Yeah, they were like, we want a new record. Do you think you could do it in three months because of the vinyl shortage, mm. lead time and the rest of it? We just said... It was such a ridiculous time frame that I, I felt like saying yes because that would just be like the most outrageous <laughs> kind of thing to do. So we did it in three months, did the whole thing. Wow. So when, when are we talking? Because the album came out in May, mid-May. Yeah, we mixed it in ja 2022, January. So. Did we mix it? I don't know. <laughs> but you had been working on it since the autumn of 2021? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah it was autumn. And whenever we played with Foles, and we played with Foles, we did that Welsh show, that rescheduled gig in Wales it was just like around then we started really it was all very quick but then because we were doing it so quickly that's things like you know a lot of the lyrics weren't quite there and there were still question marks over a few melodies and things like that yeah yeah it was all very fluid it wasn't like completely sorted hmm. usually when we go in it's almost completely you know in the bag in many ways you know and there's just like a few lyrics left to do or whatever but it wasn't like that completely this time yeah 
And going back to Jennifer, um, so far it all sounds pretty speedy. You know, the fast Bruce lived up to its title, mm-hmm. and the the, the, you know, the ideas got firing, and the movement of it worked yeah. quite well. Is there anything else we should hear? Any other bits that you particularly enjoy or particularly like? I mean, I like the idea that you were seeking. You know, once you decided to go lower, but you wanted it surrounded by the the backing vocals, and you wanted it to yeah. achieve a certain thing. With yeah. that, don't fear the and then, comparison. And then the the slide obviously just added to that because the slide wasn't there when I put that vocal down. I don't, uh, maybe it was by then. I don't think it was actually. I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I can't remember either. It certainly mm. wasn't when I originally wrote it. Yeah, that chorus. And then as soon as those were combined, it was like, oh god, it's really evocative. Suddenly, from this quite standard sort of strokesy little ditty, suddenly it was really quite an emotive song, but it still had the pace and the like, and, and actually played slide in years. I remember just, as I was doing it, I was kind of staring at my tuner, just like <laughs> making sure it wasn't sharp or flat because I was so crap at it. <laughs> it's, sort of, it's improved a bit since we've got to reflect playing it live, but in the studio, I was like really like, oh my God, I totally suck at this. There's a reason there's professional slide players out there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd abandoned it for years. It was, it was lost behind the desk. No. Uh, but it sounds great. You know, um, are you able to build through the parts on this one? Uh, yeah, I can. We can go through some stuff. Start with the drums. I mean, the original drums you did on the demo—that's just quickly assembled. Yeah, that's just using just a you know Ableton's own drum rack and just some bunch of samples, just mm. you know, whatever really. Both of us, when we're writing something, we don't really go to like our sort of tried and tested sounds. Every time I go in, I'm like. That's used a new stupid drum kit, basically. Yeah, exactly. I'm the same. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> it's always going to change later anyway. And sometimes it will spark things off. There's a particular little sample I used on a track called Shark Week that sounds like someone was kind of going, mm-hmm. and I started singing Kevin when every time he did that sample. And obviously, Kevin is a massive feature of the record now, and I think that actually might be where it originated. Wow. was from some drum sample that sounds like someone saying Kevin. Yeah. <laughs> Into the water And she was tired like no one's ever been tired Cause she goes It's quite a simple tune, really. There's not like... Yeah, it's, it's unusual because it's so simple, I think, for mm. us. Yeah. There's two guitars, bass. It's all in your memory. Try it again. There's something that says pad here, so what's that? So there's not actually that much, not that much synth in it. A lot of the other tracks on the record are like super, super synthy. Try it again. What's this one here? No, that's just the flute guy. There's this guy. He stayed, that's just from the original demo. I kind of forgot that guy was even in the track, to be honest. Yeah, me too. Shows it should probably have came out. <laughs> <laughs> there is one, like, really fast synth towards the end. Oh, yeah, the digga, 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 digga. Yeah, no one really notices. It's quite quiet. It's keys. Live, I get it right in my ear. Yeah, that. It's great. Sort of like Doctor Who. This is a good mix. Just put a kick drum under that and we're, we're laughing. 
where did the lyrical idea come from? It's meant to be a story of desperation, really, and trying to get over something, I think. Hmm. Once the, those backing vocals were down, it really felt like the collective voices sounded like a sort of comfort to the solo voice, to me, basically. Hmm. And it suddenly took on this thing of like them kind of going, don't worry, which again, just elevated it massively. And so you've got these very sad and desperate verses about someone sort of reaching the end of their tether. And then you've got this very warm response from the, the collective. It, all these things sort of have their own little extra meanings for me or for anyone listening that just sort of add to each other. And to, you, you know, you said you've got the slide that makes it sad and you've got the all the reverb on the vocals and then you've got all the nostalgia that comes from those old tracks we mentioned like Blue Oyster Cult or whatever and Fleetwood Mac. And so before you know it, you've kind of, you go down a, a path that feels just natural. You kind of know what must be done. It's, yeah. it's interesting, all of this process where it starts out, you know, you heard Alex's original was just a sort of drum machine and that kind of horrible little bass line and very, very basic tune. But the more you sort of dive into it, the more you, more feelings become attached to it. And sometimes you can't even control it. They just come from your experience of other art, really. Yeah. I think it's interesting that you can create a feeling of resolution and hope through the musical parts as mm. much as through the words. So, you know, we feel quite sorry for Jennifer. You know, when yeah. suddenly it's like, oh no, gosh, she doesn't want exactly, to go Exactly, exactly. No, it's really sad. Oh, and it, and even, but the language I'm using is very basic. You know, mm. it's like a, a child telling a story almost, you know. Then she remembers her life as like a nightmare. It's like a really basic thing to say. But the fact that it's an adult man saying it and why is he saying this? I don't know. That's songwriting, isn't it? It's mm. storytelling one way or another. Yeah. Yeah, it is. I felt very sorry for her. And then uh, by the end of the song, I think, oh, it's it's not looking so bad now. She seems to have come through something. Yeah. You no, know, And uh, you kind of reach that conclusion without even really thinking that much about it. You just kind of feel yeah. that. Yeah. You know, which is uh, an achievement and the achievement of the song. The purpose of the song is to try and do that, which is very cleverly done, I would say. Um, right. And well, if there's nothing else, maybe we'll hear the master and we'll have a break and then we'll have a listen to Leviathan. Jennifer, how it ended up on the record Raw Data Feel. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be back to look at Leviathan. You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. 
Many of our guests on Take Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. So the next song we're going to look at from Raw Data Field by Everything Everything is Leviathan. And how representative was the process for Jennifer in terms of creating that? Is that for every track or is every track different? Yeah, I mean... I don't know where all the songs come from. I mean, sometimes, you know, half the tracks probably start with a little germ from John or, you know, and half may start a little germ from me and, and then one of us will do more on it than the other. And sometimes it's hard to even remember where they appear. Leviathan is kind of similar to Jennifer. You know, I had these chords on the guitar and I just picked up my guitar and I was just kind of, I just quickly strummed them out and, um, and I didn't have my recording equipment with me, so I just used a synth, just put them in, and and then it just slowly became came to life. This sort of thing. This tune started during 2020, and my uh, my wife and I live with her family, and uh, my mother-in-law got very very ill in 2020, and I just started writing music as a kind of a way to sort of uh, you know process some of the things that were going on inside the house because it was quite intense and. You know, she passed away at the end of 2020 and it was all very quick and a bit sort of like bizarre, came out of nowhere kind of thing, getting um, leukemia. So this track was basically me dealing with that. And I, I never told John that really, actually. It got to the end of the, we were in the sort of studio and John was th- talking about lyrics for it. And I, and I said, you know, this song's about this. And, and I kind of said it to John and, you know, he actually worked it into his lyrics and it became like a, the whole track's basically dealing with grief, you know. Mm. on how to deal with it I was dealing with grief and that was kind of my way of dealing with it was just writing the music you know so yeah one of the heavier topics of the the record I would say not all of them are like that very interesting Um, maybe we should hear the master hear how it ended up and then we can see where you started
Leviathan ended up on the record. Mm -hmm. You mentioned, Alex, that you were using music as a way of processing everything around you and, mm -hmm. and, and in a way as a, a solace of some sort, somewhere to escape yeah, to. Well, you, you sort of see it, it's something you look back on and just kind of think, yeah, I was probably doing that, you know. At the time, it was like there were times in the house which were just obviously incredibly intense and, um, and I just think, you know, I'm just going to let these guys have a chat or whatever, mm -hmm. you know, and I just take myself off and I just be doing music and I'd use music as just a way to sort of just get out of the room, you know? And this song became just, I don't know why this one became a, like a focus point, but I just worked on this for absolutely ages, you know, just went like through a million different versions of it and all the rest of it. And I went back to the original and uh, it was quite weird actually to listen to it, you know. I'll try and load it up. I mean, do you want to hear it? Yeah, I'd love to hear it. So this is the one that you sent me, presumably. Yeah, I'm not. Don't even think I sent this to you. I think I worked on this quite a long time before it even went to you. Okay. And there's a few stems missing, I think, and stuff. No, I don't know what's even here. What is that drum beat all about? I don't know. <laughs> It's the same same song though, isn't it? Yeah. So presumably that's your idea of a melody. <laughs> um, that for those listening, that voice will be what he would imagine, what he would want me to sing. Yeah, I, I think I was listening to um, that Fortet record, which was you know, new, whatever it was at the time. Yeah. I can't remember what it was even called, what it's called now. And it had those kind of like little, little plucky melodies on it. So this is quite similar, you know, the... And what are you using to create this on? Is this... This is just an Ableton. I'm thinking it's just... Right. So that's, that's from modular synth. So that was recorded in. Oh, so that's the it? sound you've made yourself, basically. Yeah, no, it's the Schwemann, that's an S1. And then I've plugged in some guitars, you know, which are just sort of horribly warped. These are the same ones that ended up in the, in the, in the, at the very end, actually, in like the finished master. I never re-recorded these. So those are straight out of your bedroom, yeah. onto the record. These guys. Actually, all the guitars are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And is that where the studio setup is in your bedroom? Yeah. No, no, I don't a, think. Or a no, spare bedroom in another room. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah I see. Yeah, yeah. Did, I sort of think of you. Not as sure, my wife would, uh, <laughs> <laughs> would like it very much if I suddenly had this entire rig in in our room. <laughs> so you can hear it's quite discordant. Alex tends to pick out the notes that sort of explain the harmony quite often because he'll be have some kind of harmonic idea that. He's very advanced, usually. And he'll go, well, this note will tell you that you're in this 
particular mode. So it's got to be in the melody. Whereas I usually won't understand why that's there. I go, that's not, you know, it's kind of an ugly melody or it's not the most natural thing in the world. And sometimes he really sticks to me. It's like, no, you have to hit that note somewhere. But a lot of the time he's just like, no, just sing what feels natural. Yeah. So that was the original idea. That was just a quick, you know, I had 20 minutes or whatever and I've done a thing. What was it called at this point? It's called, it had the same name. It's just called Creature Features, oh, yeah. which is just another stupid name because we just never name anything. We never give anything a serious name until it becomes a problem. A thing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but you so, could you could make a link between Creature Features and Leviathan. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. You could. You could. No, I, you could. I am making that link. But... Um, yeah, so that was actually the the very first demo, the one, and you didn't send that to John. No, no, I, I wouldn't have sent that to John. I don't think I've ever no. heard that. No. Yeah. No, I often write something and then I'll come back to it and I think it's not really enough there. That's like, I think to myself, you know, that's not really going to excite John, so I won't bother sending it and I'll work on it a bit longer or something. You know, I never really send like the first idea because I always think I've got quite a, a lot, you know, like a high wall to climb to sort of get John excited because I don't really have. I'm not going to be singing on it on any of them. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so it's like an instrumental. So I've got to make the instrumental so exciting that John's going to think, "Oh man, I really want to sing on this," which is a very different thing to, you know, the other way around. John will send like something that's like really underdeveloped sometimes, and yeah, and there's like a nice melody. I'm like, that melody's good. I could just imagine, you know, my instantly I can imagine what I could do with it or how I could just like reharmonize it or whatever, you know, whatever idea comes into my head. I'll, yeah. I'm excited, you know. Sometimes just one line or, or the way that one line is sung can inspire everyone. And we, we keep talking about it in the band, you know, like, oh, this was a really good one. And really we're talking about the thinnest gruel, but there's a certain emotion has been captured or a certain clever lyric is, is there. Mm. And that's really all it needs to spark. That's all that's going to actually matter when it gets to the listener is will they feel that thing? And they probably will if we all feel it. So it's much harder to do that when... You're not singing, definitely. Yeah. So you, you're bearing this in mind when you're creating and developing mm. things because you, you want to create something that will excite you and stimulate reaction in a creati another creative way. Mm -hmm. So you continued to work on creature features mm -hmm. um, in yeah. your own time. And then at what point did you send John something? Probably around this one or the next one. I've got two other early versions of it because it went through two different... It was going down two different roads. One was this which is kind of similar to what we ended up on the record is sort of like more of a break beat thing you know hip-hop kind of beat and then the other version which is kind of similar was more i always felt that that if you want to get like that really a lot of emotion in a, a track with no vocal i always look to like you know late talk talk and so i've got another version that's kind of like me trying to get that more across and I don't know which I sent to John. It was either the one that sounds like this or it's the talk talk one. But I'll play this now, mm. which is probably what went to John. Yeah. And the strings, these same string parts remain for the whole thing. And I just cut them up and just kind of replace them. And this was also played on the um, instrument again. That ding, 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 I've always missed, actually. <laughs> See, that do, 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 is just 
suicide in Melody. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's so ugly. And yeah, Alex is like, yeah, yeah, that's Melody, guys. So this bit's very, you know, this is kind of there now, this bit. Can you solo the thing? Because it's a really interesting... How is that made? That's just modular, some modular thing. I don't even know what I'm using. I think at the, because it's just such a blank canvas, I just kind of pump the notes out and I just plug some stuff in and get a sound and just chuck it in. So I, I couldn't tell you what I was using. I just, I've got like a bunch of Schwayman stuff and some Verbos and, and I just kind of use whatever I'm and is that fancy using. Just uh, inputted, you're not playing that. No, I'm not playing it. I'm just usually just sending MIDI out and just kind of like, you know, just messing with the sound on the fly with a lot of these things. So where would like the brrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrrr
That's more re- more like what a band sounds mm. like, yeah. It's interesting that you feel you need to make that transition, that you couldn't go with the original sounds that well, you Well, we had. do. It's We try to include real drums because, you know, Mike playing a little drum machine mm. is vastly less impactful for people to see, for him to enjoy, blah, blah, blah. So we do try and make it, you know, we try and play our instruments, I think, because it's it's a bit too easy to just go, right, we'll put it all on track, Mike will play the drum machine, Jeremy will play the little keyboard. Yeah. It's a bit crap for them, <laughs> more yeah, than yeah. anything. But that's interesting and because you're thinking in terms of the band as yeah. well. It's not just the track. You're thinking, how does this work for us as a band, as a group of people yeah. that all play together and we like to play together? No, it's inclusive, isn't it? It's Yeah, and there's also much more expression in a drum kit than there is in yeah. a drum machine, you know. And, and you know, given where the, the song kind of started, I just kind of, I was kind of like, can I get enough kind of humanness out of it? You know, I didn't want it to turn into like some sort of heavily overproduced hip-hop thing, really. It would just put this giant kind of plastic sheen on something that's like, you know, shouldn't be like that. So these sort of experiments are kind of like, can I get more out of it than... Yeah, they're like sketches, aren't they? It's like lots of different ways of sketching the same painting before you do the final thing, you know? Yeah. So in terms of musical background, I mean, I know a bit about yours, John, and I know that you went to study in Salford. Is that right? So you went to study music and recording there. Yep. um, And... Well, Mike went to study music somewhere else, did he? Is he that... went to Leeds via Boston, which is a pretty good excursion. He did a year there. Right. And then the band formed in Salford, but then Alex Niven, who had been in the band, yep. who you knew from school, that's right. he decided to bow out of the band. And that's when you met this Alex. Yep. But Alex, what was, what was your <laughs> musical background in terms of, I mean, I know you're in the band Opera House because you recorded a session for my <laughs> show a long time ago, on yeah. XFM um, many years ago. Um, but had you had a similar kind of was, higher education in music? No, I, I was classically trained growing up. So both me and my, you know, the brother up from me were playing in orchestras and things like that, you know. And this was in Guernsey? In Guernsey, yeah. In so, Germany. I mean, does Guernsey have a big... It does actually music scene. So yeah, it's got like a it has got a very big um, classical kind of thing for kids to do. Mm. It's like a good way for your parents just to get rid of you for a few hours every Saturday. <laughs> and, I, and I suppose everything I do now musically is from those early days. We had this Suzuki teacher there. You learn by using your ears, so your your relative pitch and things is like becomes very strong at an early age. You know, like learning a language early or something. It comes more naturally, you never lose it. And I've sort of really, my whole career has basically just relied on that, to be honest. I still have a bit of knowledge of theory and things, but I tend to try and use my ears first before I think too much about what I'm doing. What was the first instrument then? I was a viola first, then I did some double bass, and then ended up on guitar when I was about sort of 15 or 16 or something like that. And I used to practice loads, you know, I used to practice like... There's not a lot to do in Guernsey, so I used to do like just eight hours a day practicing guitar and learning things and playing along to records and, you know, what most kids do when, mm. they, when they get an instrument and they're into it. And then I didn't want to go, I tinkered with the idea of going to music college, but I just, I found the idea of a load of, load of people kind of shouting over each other, trying to prove they're better than each other or something. I just thought I'd just totally fail in that environment because it's not really my 
bag to sort of shout over other people and try to be better than everyone or whatever. So I ended up going to art college and then got into bands that way, really, mm. before I met John and those guys. Yeah. And so um, there's this kind of complementary musical, educational experiences coming together. Yeah, I mean, I was on trumpet around the same age and then m moved to guitar. Basically, you realise your classical instrument is lame when you get to about 13 <laughs> and you pick up guitars. And the Jeremy was on double bass, a cello rather. He did the same thing. Mike was piano, which I suppose is all right. And then he, <laughs> and then he started playing the drums. Actually, I think he, was, he started drums earlier than that. But yeah, we all had a classical beginning. And I think it does, it puts certain things into you that, yeah, like Alex says, they, they don't go away, even if you can't really describe them anymore. But it's a certain way of... I've often thought that literally playing a trumpet and the, the resonance of the harmonics of a way that you, if you open all your valves, say, you can play first, fifth, and octave, or whatever it is, it literally resonates your entire head and you sort of, you know about this relationship between harmonics in, in such a strange way. And I guess that happens with all real instruments. You know, you're not just pressing a button. When you have to find your note with your finger and there's no frets and all these things when you're a little kid they really um it sort of puts you in touch with the sort of physics of music in a really powerful way i think very interesting and and physically as well you actually feel yeah. it through yeah the, the tremors in your yeah. skin and bones and possibly <laughs> <laughs> but then when you plug in an electric guitar you get a similar kind of experience once you, you know, feel the throb yeah when you plug in your, you know, your guitar into your first Zoom 404 pedal, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're kind of thinking, I like the patch on number 18 is distorted or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. In the early days when everyone had metal zones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, it's good. It was, I honestly had a really good childhood music, you know, I had lots of friends who were like really into music and played in lots of local bands and, you know, it was great. Mm. And uh, that seems like a nice way back into Leviathan, I think. So we've got to the point where the band are all going to be together in a studio, laying down their parts. Yeah. yeah. So probably at this point, the lyrics, Alex probably hadn't told me what he wrote the song about. Well, no, not, not the point we're about to play, because that's mm. finished. But when we got to the studio, that was it. And I had most of it sketched out. It was all focused around that hook that I thought was amazing. And I thought, I need an amazing lyric for that. And I had... I'm not your baby. And I was singing really high and it sounded really, just sounded killer. And I had this. <laughs> sounds, I, so, sounds so sort of douchey now. <laughs> well, no, it's not. It actually had, it actually had a very, it, it, still was, it still was quite serious. I had this idea that it was about, um, I'd read some article about a woman who was murdered by her boyfriend or something like that. And he'd come to her work and killed her there. And it's something about it. I just thought was terrible, obviously, but it was sort of emblematic of lots of similar things. And I was thinking about violence against women, frankly, but it was kind of a, uh, the bit at the end was like, I want this man to be thrown out, something like this. What's that you say? I'm not your baby. And it was just kind of like her telling him to fuck off. But it was because of the context of the song, it, it was very sad. It wasn't like a fuck you kind of song. It was just kind of like an echo of something she, she didn't want this guy around and he came along and killed her. And that was what it was all going to be about. And then Alex was like, no, it's, well, he didn't say no. He just said, by the way, John, it's this. And I'd like to reflect that if you can. So I binned all of those. And um, 
I started to write them and I, and I still had this end part that I didn't really know what to do with because it's got a positive feel almost, the outro. And I didn't really know how to, to write about this positively. So I actually got in touch with Alice's wife and said, you got any ideas? What can I do? And she sent me the eulogy from Funeral. And there was a section in it that was a quote from her husband, Alex's father-in-law. And it was saying, you know, when I first met you, I fell in love. And I just thought, this is so positive and, and brilliant. And I thought, you know what? I bet it works. And I literally just overlaid it word for word and it fitted so brilliantly. But I still, I wanted this baby thing in there because I thought it was great. And it's, I could sing it really well at that pitch. So I had, when I met you, I fell in love, something, something, because you're my baby. And I was like, right, this is fucking awesome. And it really means a lot and stuff like that. And I sent it back. <laughs> actually, it got back to... It went back to Charlotte's dad, actually. Yeah. Read it. She's like, yeah, yeah, this is really good. I love the track. I think it's, you know, I'm you know, really touched by it. But um, can you just get rid of that awful line? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was like, wow. I really, I shit, I, I probably should. This is literally a song about his wife, you know. And it, it turned out that the... Uh, yeah, I had to smile because you you knew it. Because that was actually in the original. I just thought it didn't scan as well. It was that she smiled because she knew he loved her or something like this. And I was like, it doesn't work quite as well, but I've grown to think that it's actually really good. And I also inserted this, uh, you're my beginning, which is like the ultimate positive thing. I wanted there to be an element of um, talking about sort of parent to child as well as this other meaning, because I thought it was, you know, it's people have lost their, parent here and also Alex was having babies at the time and, and there was this new baby in the house while all this was going on and it just made me feel like the circle of life you know and these feelings of of parent to child and then repeated and it was like the lyrics are kind of like I've got to go but you're going to be all right this is what you need to do when you're feeling bad think of me in this way or and it was almost like this is a generation talking down to one of to the next one and also talking down to the next one it's like you've got to look after these babies now you know and it is it's something cyclical about it and uh it wasn't necessarily all sad it was like this is how it goes mm. i know i know you have to go kind of thing i know it has to be this is just how it's gonna go and you've got stuff you've got to do kind of thing so it wasn't all oh god even though it is a very obviously a very sad thing it was more about yeah, it's turned into a more of a celebration of, yeah, exactly. of the person, you know, yeah. of Vanessa, yeah. yeah. Well, we've got to hear some of that, I think. Very interesting to hear about that way that you developed these words and these lyrics. And is that unusual to be that interactive? Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. Generally, I just let John do his thing and, you know, and don't. But this was really Alex's baby, this song. Mm. Uh, he'd worked a hell of a lot on it and he had a specific set of emotions behind it that I knew nothing about. And I put this new thing on it, my spin on it, which was this completely other thing. And he stepped in and said, I, can you do this? You know, so, yeah. yeah, of course I could. Yeah. Yeah. I tend to not tell John anything about where the songs come from because I don't really want to like, I want him to sort of feel attached to it as 
there's something about writing for a singer that you know writing music that you want someone to sing on if i was to say to a singer this is what i think this song's about then it kind of takes away everything that you know down the line six months time is john gonna sing it live and just think like i don't feel any of this stuff you know whatever and i want to feel like john's engaged off his own back if you know what i mean like that he's put himself into it in some way so when he's singing it, it becomes you know it's a real thing that people can connect with him personally on because he feels something when he says the words or whatever mm. so this was different than normal i can't think of another example where where we would have done this well, we've done this no I no don't never think so. never never no i think it's the one of the only times i've written sort of for someone else as it were yeah despite what he just said about making it come from me you know i am writing this for alex and and his wife's family you know it's kind of like a shared thing that i'm not actually central in like i always am in all my songs this is kind of no this is alex's life and have to be respectful of it but also have to have some connection to it like he's saying otherwise it's there's a disconnect yeah and people can hear it Man, it's very interesting you know those other sets of responsibilities with regard to a song that you're developing and creating suddenly and for you Alex too because this isn't your own parents this is your wife's parents yeah. so it's, a, so it's a, a different relationship again that you want to it's a t- tread very it's, carefully it's all incredibly complex mm. <laughs> yeah the whole thing you know dealing with it was it was a complex year and you know just want a, you know, a good thing to come out of it. And I think we, I feel mm. like we did a good thing, you know. And a, a big thing to share then, not just with each other, but then with the public, with your fans and listeners. It's quite a big thing, yeah. I had to chat, I mean, I'd, I asked my wife's family, were like, she would love to have been mentioned, you know, kind of thing. So I think it's quite touching that, you know, good to be remembered, I think. Well, mm. it ends up being very beautiful as well. Leviathan by Everything Everything. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back to look at Software Great Man. Time for a quick Tape It feature highlight. Among many of the brilliant features within Tape It, you can record straight from your lock screen. A dedicated button for your camera was added to the lock screen years ago. Wouldn't it be nice if your audio recorder had a button there too? So when you have a song idea, just press record and focus on your music. To find out more, head to the link in a recent episode show notes or use the promo code Tape Notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. The next song we're going to look at is Software Great Man from Raw Data Feel. Alex, if you want to play us the master, okay. um, then we'll dig into it. Next album's going to have no single synth intros. Yeah. Like all the tracks <laughs> on this album do. <laughs> Bass there as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> real cymbals. Yeah, real cymbals and um, drum machines, Pulsar 23. 
software great man how it ended up on the record and something we haven't touched on yet about raw data feel is that the data aspect the technology aspect of this album and um, we've talked about the technology you've used to create it but as with all of your work there are bigger issues being discussed in the songs is it an ai theme with this record uh it's not really an ai theme but the ai aspect appeared sort of four-fifths of the way through, shall we say. And it's taken a front seat in a lot of the press we've done because it's quite interesting. But realistically, it's not actually that big. And it's certainly not what the album's about, but right. it's kind of ended up that way a little bit. Yeah. Saying that, though, this is probably the AI yeah. track. Yeah. So this is the one that... Yeah, I think so. So what I did was I took... I learned that AI could write coherent sentences and I saw some AI poetry and I thought oh, I wonder if it could write lyrics that I thought were good and so I just tweeted does anyone know how to anything about machine learning and language I got a few replies and I, I looked through them until I found someone to look qualified and he said yeah I can make a, a machine for you that will it will learn whatever you want it to learn and then it will spit things out just send me the data that you want to be put into this thing so I thought I wanted very diverse stuff and I had, it had to be stuff that I could get a hold of as well so I thought well I'll send it the oldest English poetry which was Beowulf so I sent it all of Beowulf and I, then I wanted what's the least romantic use of English I can think of and I thought terms and conditions so I, I quickly googled what's the worst terms and conditions what's the most draconian I think I wrote and everyone said it's LinkedIn it's LinkedIn it's LinkedIn so I found the whole LinkedIn thing and sent that to him and then I wanted something that was modern and ugly. So I somehow found a massive database of comments from 4chan, the sort of troll website, essentially. I thought, okay, that's pretty ugly stuff. <laughs> I think it was like 400,000 comments. And I sent that to him as well. And all this was getting fed into this machine at once. And then I thought, I want a bit of wisdom and mysticism and prophecies type language to be in there as well. So that it feels like can I make this really technical language, the LinkedIn, this really ugly, horrible language, this really ancient language, can I give it all an air of sounding like it's meaningful? Because it doesn't mean anything at this point. It never does, in fact. So I got the entire sayings of Confucius, obviously translated from ancient Chinese, and sent that to him as well. And he said, okay, give me a few weeks and I, the machine will learn all of this stuff. And then send me some prompts which I will give the machine and it will respond to. That's how it worked. So I already had this running thing in my head about this character called Kevin. And Kevin's car was the primary sort of arena in my mind. Like, there must be some event in Kevin's car. Kevin's car is very important. <laughs> that was that was honestly all I had at the beginning of the record. Was like, I knew we had this like three month window, got to write an album and finish it. And I was like, Kevin's car, 
it's got to be Kevin's car. <laughs> and I told the guys this. I was like, the name of the album's got to be Kevin's car. And they were like, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> and I stuck to it. And I sent this guy, Mark Hanslip, I sent him the prompt in Kevin's car, dot, dot, dot. And I sent him one that's just said, what now? And I sent him one that said, I can't remember actually. Those are the two I remember. And he would send back what the AI said. So it would be a line like, what now? And I think this was probably four chance influence, <laughs> and I apologize for this. What now, my prominent clit was one of the uh, <laughs> phrases. <laughs> and there was just dozens and dozens of these things. And one of them said, what now, software greatman? And I was like, fuck, that's actually quite cool. And I think it had probably got greatman from Beowulf. Yeah. And in Beowulf, there's a tendency to conjoin two words together. So there's another instance on the album, on this song, in fact, where you have much grieving as one word which I've given it away now, is, is AI. A whole line is, even though people think that is, there has been much grieving in relationships. They think that's me talking about my life. That was purely AI. And I went through this, he sent that probably a few hundred of these phrases and, and there was a, in Kevin's car, blah, 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 blah. And most of it was entirely nonsense. And the 4chan influence was only ever horrible. There's nothing really good came of that, but I'm glad it was in there. <laughs> <laughs> most of it was linking linked in to Beowulf, I think, maybe some Confucius was in there. And uh, it was really a question of what do, basically he'd already vetted what he thought was worth sending me because it spat out thousands and thousands of pages of this stuff. And I went through it and stuff caught my eye, like what now software greatman? I just thought there's something in that that sounds cool. And it sounded like who's software greatman? And you know, what does that mean? So I wrote that in my sort of primary lyric folder and just sort of came back to it. And that's the AI element of the record so those these lines and phrases will appear dotted across it thrown in amongst the ones that are from my heart and soul and I've, i haven't until just then given away what any of the lines are because i don't want people to know i want people to attach emotion to things that this machine came up with that are made of linkedin yeah and i want people to dismiss my real emotions as oh that's just ai because i think that's fascinating where where those two things meet and keeping it a secret is kind of essential actually and there's been already been a number of times where i've seen people discussing the lyrics and kind of going yeah that just sounds like ai bollocks and i'm like no that's my <laughs> you know and other people going yeah that's it's probably him talking about you know something like that line there has been much grieving so this song does have quite a lot of that on it yeah and putting it at the end of the record felt like well you do attach a lot of meaning to things like where you put songs that wasn't there when you wrote it but still the whole record starts with this sort of glitchy technology sound and I sort of come out of it with this quite nice song and then there's a lot of stuff on the record about trying to get over a trauma of some kind and then at the end of the record I'm sort of saying I can't get over it actually right now and then I start to get all cut up by what Alex did to it and there's a, a load of uh, it's, I'm getting sample and I sort of go back into the machine at the end like it's taking over so there's a lot of Stuff on the record about relying on technology to help you through something. That's kind of the role that technology takes on it. And at the end, I'm kind of ceding my responsibilities to it and kind of going, I can't deal with, with life right now. Can you? And uh, that's kind of reflected in the fact that I used it to write the lyrics, literally. And then that sort of helped me to write about some more difficult things. I didn't want to delve right into myself again, straight after an, a record we'd just done. And I was frankly just had enough of exposing myself in that way 
for a bit, certainly. And the technology came along and I literally did use it as a sort of crutch. And then the relationship between me and the AI sort of became one of the stories of the record, really. However, that was not at all what the song was like when I sent it to Alex, which <laughs> right, we'll right. listen to now, because when I wrote it originally, what was it called? Has it got a title? I don't know what it was called. I've just called it a software greatman. Right. I may have already called it that because it was such a cool title. Yeah. And it was like a jangly guitar thing, as you will hear. So the element of being cut up was nothing to do with it. Right. Yeah, so it was two, two things. So there's this demo that John sent me where I, I really liked the chorus, but it just didn't feel the band felt. It wasn't just me, but as a general feeling, it didn't feel like it quite fit in with the, you know, the rest of the tracks on the record or whatever. But I really liked the melody and I really liked the, um, the lyric. So I just spent ages pulling it apart and I had like two or three other demos. I'll play you another one. The intro and the middle eight come from this just one evening. I, I was just patched this thing on the um, modular synth, you know, just, and I thought, oh, this sounds quite cool. And I just like captured it. And when I came to wanting to find another piece, because I, I wasn't sure about the middle eight on this original version, and I kind of didn't want to do another song anyway that just kind of went verse, chorus, verse, chorus, middle eight, chorus, because just we did that a lot and it kind of gets boring, you know. And I just thought, oh, do I have anything that I could use? And I opened up this modulus in thing and it just happened to be like just in the right key and tempo, but, you know, like just by total chance. And uh, I just dropped it on and it worked and sort of pulled it together. But this is what John sent me anyway, so you get an idea of how wildly different it was from where we are now. Not even in tune. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Only that first line is real lyrics, I think. And in the chorus, I just really liked this chorus. I just thought the lyrics great, the melody's really good. Yeah, so it started off in a, you know... It's like a sort of baggy beat sort baggy of thing. Baggy beat sort of thing, yeah. Yeah. I don't know how I did it because it happened very quickly, but it just kept on sort of mutating and changing. And This was a primer example of Alex is doing something, everyone, and we don't really know what. <laughs> and uh, certainly that outro bit where, it, well, we'll get onto it, but the uh, this is like a real like eyes down sort of gets lost in it type production so my um this is the modular thing which i recorded which became the intro and you know the whole outro and it was just i think i was just sending a trigger out of um out of ableton using cv tools and that's just i had a couple of just the verbos their sequence i had like two of them and i just had them 
basically making this this loop which is just the intro and then became the outro but the original version of four chords which I'll get onto later had this extra chord here which isn't in our version but again it's just one of those kind of like a meditation on the modular synth kind of thing did you send me this? I feel like I, I maybe know this. I sent you one that was like a really heavy one, which is probably back here somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I heard this. I was like, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was like, I'll just turn the filters down. Oh, yeah, this is really good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Doctor Who. This is great module. They've got this module called the Harmonic Oscar. You can just sort of just like... Just has this amazing sound. Some like a little organ that's just sort of doing its own thing. Which became the start of the tune, you know. Anyway, I love all this kind of stuff. This is basically my... This is where Alex lives. This is just one of my favourite things to do, basically. absolutely love it. It's just like a nice feeling. Not a lot moving, you know. Things just dropping in and out. It's just can't beat the simple stuff. It's great. Um, so then that, that attached to the other track. So let me just open up. I mean, it's funny because at the moment they seem like two distinct worlds. They absolutely are. One that doesn't maybe fit and one that's not really a song. And so yeah. somewhere well, I had these you two, get what you get, which is... We had two drum beats. I mean, we, we had the John's sort of baggy beat one. I kept on like unmuting and sending to the guys like, do you guys want this original beat or do we do this other one? And Yeah. And Michael was like, no, no, no. And John basically, no, no, no. Just go with this new beat because it's just... It, well, it was there was a point where I think it changed beat halfway through, which is never a comfortable feeling. Yeah, because I had this one loop that I'd recorded. I haven't got enough inputs in my interface to get all the separates from my drum machine, so it's just like the stereo out. And so I, I didn't have much I could do with it. So it was like it's this or nothing. It's this or nothing. So that, yeah. if you, as you listen to the track, there's points where like I just mute the main drums and I just use the the reverbs or whatever as a way for like we're going we're going deeper now and then the vocal will come on top and then you know i'll bring it back into focus because i just i'm just limited <laughs> what i can do you gotta have all the drums all no drums yeah and i just had this beat you know which was just the drum machine and then michael on top just doing cymbals and in the studio was this beat influenced by something in particular yeah it was um I'm really into Plaid, you know, the group Plaid. Mm, that's what it was. So it was like similar, you know, I was listening to a lot of their drum beats and I'm always inspired by them, basically. I think they're great. And there he goes into the distance. <laughs> and then back again. <laughs> right. so it's quite, quite simple. Yeah, that's really interesting because it seems like such a um, an artistic decision, yeah. but it's a practical decision. Well, there's lots of things that, like, you know, me and John talk a lot about limitation and how it's kind of like a useful tool to mm. sort of... It cuts down on the possibilities. And when yeah, there's, there's yeah. a million... There's nothing worse than having loads and loads of choice and loads of possibilities. It's awful 
thing to sit down and open your laptop and go, I could do literally anything right now. That's what I like about drum machines or, or using, you know, modulus and stuff. Like you're just restricted by what you have. So if you want a, like a, you know, polyphonic synth sound, you're going to have to send all the chords. It's going to have to be paraphonic. You're going to put all the chords into one filter and it's going to have one on and off or whatever, you know. Having to figure out workarounds makes things kind of more exciting and, and you have to commit to sounds because you can't, the committing is the thing that's kind of like exciting, I think, you know, makes the end track more real and less kind of like plug in to death by the end or whatever. But as you can hear, the, the intro's got the original, this thing. But then I cut the last chord out. So it just keeps on going around. It does it in threes instead of fours. But what happened was we recorded the whole thing with the full four mm-hmm. chords with John singing. And then we were going back to do the vocals. And I think we were, I was comping John's vocal that morning that he'd already sung on the track. And I was just thinking to myself, I'm, it was towards the end of doing all the tracks. And I was just sitting there in the studio in Stockport. And I was just thinking, I'm just so bored of this song now. I want it to be more exciting somehow. And so I literally just started just cutting out the fourth chord, like just wholesale through the whole track, you know, just like huge chunks, taking the vocal with it. So the vocals all sort of cut up towards the end, you know, they just naturally occurred. And then I just thought, actually, this is quite a cool sound, you know, what can I do with this? So then I started then cutting up John's voice on purpose and you get that kind of, um, see if I can find some of it. And then it will come in later. Let me go find it. Here we go. So be here. So this will be the first. John has listened to himself naked, which is never enjoyed by any singer. (laughs) You see, it's just, it just just naturally is cut there. But it wasn't like that. Originally, he just sang through in a kind of like meandering or one thing. Right. So you can hear it's all kind of cut up. But then towards the end of the track, I was like, well, I kind of want to do that loads. And then it gets into more kind of over the top. effects were done I've just reversed the whole vocal so all the effects are actually going like into the vocal from from the future yeah, <laughs> you know what I mean yeah. so they're all reversed in and all the stereo stuff was done on this I've got this filter this stereo Schwayman filter it's like an MMF2 it's called and when you set the two different filters to like different settings so one's on you know low pass and one's on like a slightly different pattern and you just modulate them you get this amazing kind of almost like binaural spinning around your head. I used to do that a lot. All, all, a lot of the vocal effects have that kind of thing going on in a lot of the tracks that in Pizza Boy as well. All guitars were going through it. The whole record was done like guitar going straight into interface and then like the DI and then I'd have one going through the amp with effects and then I'd also have the effects pedals just going straight into modular, straight into that stereo filter. So what I would do is I would just get to the end of 
you know, doing the guitars. And as we're, I would have like a hundred tracks. I just left everything up and on. And then as I would go through, I would then pick and choose. So I'd say, oh, for this one, I want the guitar to be doing the stereo thing to get out of the way of the vocals and I've recorded it there. So I just mute the others. And so in terms of like production choices, it was just really like what I want to be right in the middle and right at the front. And is it John or is it the guitar or whatever, you know, and I'd be able to make that decision because it was all just recorded in parallel. Mm. And so the track kind of comes to an end and then kind of comes back in. Kevin's rave. This guy. Yeah. And then, yeah, then the rave. Yeah. So this was, this was my, um, I was going through settings on differences. This is just me singing made into a synth and it didn't fit the track, but I thought it was quite funny because it just reminded me of like early rave nineties sort of thing. And accidentally, I'd removed it off the end of the track. So I was like, oh, I'm going to keep that back and I'm going to show that to John at some point because he'll find that amusing or something. I don't know. I just mm-hmm. thought it was quite a cool sound. Yeah. And then when I bounced the track, everyone's like, oh, I love that bit at the end. <laughs> yeah. So you hadn't, it hadn't intended to be there at all. No, it wasn't supposed to be no, there at all. I just and really it, liked it. And it just remained there. There was like three or four tracks all had silly things on the end of them. Yeah. Because when we're making the record, I'm always thinking to myself, oh, well, you know, if that track goes before another track, maybe we'll need something. And I could just have this thing as a kind of like spacer between two songs. If in the track listing, you know, we need a break after something that's really heavy because something, you know, light heart is going to come in and you need kind of like a palate cleanser. Mm. And most of them get removed. But this one remained and wasn't even used for that purpose. It just is the end of the album. <laughs> it, it added to the sort of album endingness of this track as well. It felt like a little coda, you know, like a, a little mystery almost. And we've just sort of dubbed it Kevin's Rave because it sounds like a sort of distant rave and mm. there's a lot of Kevin on the record. It just felt like a he's up in heaven dancing or something like that. It felt like a really appropriate way to end it rather than just fading off the track. It was like a little goodbye. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's a nice surprise. <laughs> yeah. Well, this is one of the modes that, you know, we go into is that we'll just sort of like totally pull things apart and remix our own music or whatever. And this is, an example of that would be this song. And it doesn't happen, probably happens like once every now and then kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. We didn't yeah. think that the demo was right and it wasn't good enough, but there was something in it, there was a kernel in it that was good, mm. basically. Yeah. So that's what moved over. Really, it's just the melody came over and I suppose the harmony to some extent, but then there's loads of other stuff in there that had nothing to do yeah. with it. Through the record, there's those little, like, trying to do little nods to different things and... I like the guitars in this one. It's got like a sort of dritty column kind of vibe in the second verse and things like that. These guys, you know, stuff like that. We just tend to have fun making music and do things we wouldn't normally do or we haven't done before. And this is just an example of that, basically. Yeah. Just little chords. Alex is incapable of recording one guitar. There always has to be two, at least. <laughs> doing a little, mel- doing a little cu- harmony or something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, it's absolutely fascinating, um, and it's amazing to think that you know that the whole AI development of of words mm-hmm. had such an impact in a, in a way, but it also didn't have an impact. Yeah, you know? and not knowing mm. is partly why I did it was to sort of show myself and and others that all the meaning a song ever has actually comes from the listener. It doesn't really come from the who's singing it. And I've just proved it. I feel I've proved it to myself because I've attached meaning to some of those AI lyrics. And I know 
that the AI didn't mean anything by it. Yeah. I've created the meaning of the song and that's all anyone does, I think, when they listen to something. Yeah. Fascinating and very true. Um, so before you disappear, we ask everybody who comes on the podcast a couple of questions. Mm -hmm. um, one of those questions is about tech or equipment, something that you feel that you can't work or live without. It could be an instrument. It could be a plug-in. It could be a phone. It could be anything. What would it be for each of you, do you think? Mine would be the Valhalla reverb. When I send Alex demos, the vocals are always absolutely swamped with like 12 second verbs. I have to slowly remove them all. Yeah, I, and I hate it. I'm just like, no. So yeah, reverb is, I love it. I absolutely love the way my voice sounds through it, particularly that range of yeah. Valhalla's. There's something great about them. Love them. Give me the free one. Valhalla. I've already got them all. <laughs> what about you, Alex? I've got loads of stuff that I, you know, the stuff I use all the time is like my modular synth stuff and process everything through it. So... I think before I had that, I was kind of like in plug-in land and, and there's just something about being able to like, you know, what you can't do with a mouse and turn two knobs at the same time with each yeah. hand. You can sort of do a filter and also do the pitch or whatever. For me, that's, it's just sort of invaluable, that whole thing really. And we use it on all our records pretty much, you know, just covers all the bases for us. What the, a, a modular synth? The effects, synth, the modular synth, because yeah, I've got yeah. effects and all the vocals that go through it, the guitars go through it, the bass went through it. And everything go, has like a sort of little extra thing going on. Well, we had a joke on our second record when we were working with David Coston and it was sort of, if in doubt, put it through the Moog. <laughs> the way we say it now is actually, put it through the Moog, which he isn't Irish, I don't know why that happened. <laughs> but that's, how, that's what we say to each other. And uh, that was one of the things he did. And that's essentially what we've ended up doing ourselves now is, is sort of shoving everything through the modular. to just It gives it a tiny little mm. tweak here and there. And that's something else. And also using that the drum machine that we just we got the Pulsar 23. It's got the amazing effects section. So I was sending a lot of the Mike's drums through that as he was recording and and just being able to just generally mess with his drums and, and him kind of reacting to it, you know, on the other side of the screen or whatever. Well, you, you can great. hear that on this track a lot, I think, because it's got that, or is that that sort of bell sound? Is that from the... That's, that's the Pulsar, that's the actual drum machine. But the effects section, you can, you can just root like outside audio through it like born under a meteor there's like the middle section which just goes like wild mm. that was just that and and also the end of shark week there's like a similar sound from the effect section it's just it sounds awesome that machine's just like totally awesome basically but you'd actually you'd put these effects on he'd be hearing he'd hear it going back to him effects, so right. he'd be like oh please can you turn that down or like <laughs> can you turn it up a bit and you know or whatever you know it's kind of quite exciting to do things live so that's why i like doing the guitars you know three at the same time you know one having all, everything going on all at once and then being able to just like cut and change rather than thinking now we're going to set up this and I should run the drums through afterwards and all whatever. I like the kind of capturing a performance and I'm not knowing what Michael's going to play and then he plays something and I react to it by making the effect do a thing or whatever. You suddenly get two performances that, that are kind of spontaneous and, and it's quite exciting. And so the modular synth choice, uh, running everything through that, that's as opposed to plugins or, or stuff like that yeah well we still capture i just run things in parallel so you know it'll be like when we did the, all the drums we had a kind of more straightforward setup using a lot of the great compressors and things they have in the studio so a lot of hardware whatever's going on but then i'd also chuck it through a few weird multi-band gated modular things or whatever and then sometimes when you get to the 
later on it'd be like which mics do we actually want to use and sometimes it's like the crazy modular noisy stuff mixed with you know the really posh thing or whatever and that's kind of gives you something characterful because mm. not everything needs to be revered and hugely expensive to be the best thing or whatever and uh, you expressed your love of reverb mm-hmm. and the Valhalla um, do you have a particular mic you always like to use I have no idea what mics I sing into we used a 67 for this record which is the same we used on Get to Heaven I think and Ark but you, you tend to just record into anything you know demos I'm very unprecious like, about gear yeah, yeah yeah we wanted John to sound like really crisp really clear top end and uh, not too distorted and there was actually another producer we haven't mentioned on this record yeah, which so was Tom Fuller Tom the two of us worked together we're partnership yeah right. it's Alex's childhood friend so we have a very very close relationship with him and he did all the vocal comping and he comes well he doesn't come from but he's done a lot of very pop pop he did a lot of uh, end dubs and stuff like this and I had a few conversations with him about how I wanted to come across and obviously Alex had his own ideas as well and I was just like just you know I want whatever Daffy has <laughs> you know t- tune it bash it move it around you know I don't actually care about sounding real at all but I think he did a really good job of I've had so many compliments people saying oh you know, your performances are so great and I'm like I don't know if that, how much of it's me, how much of it's Tom kind of thing, which is actually, this is the record for that feeling because this is about sort of, can you get emotion from technology and stuff like this? So there are maybe, I don't know, I just don't know because I I don't listen back to my takes really. And I don't know how much editing's been done and things like this, but certainly the we were going for like a pop pop presentation of the protagonist, mm. shall we say. And when you don't listen back to your take, so you, you leave that to somebody else to decide which take yeah, is best. Mainly because I don't like hearing the, the errors, but also I'll have a different opinion about what's the best one. And mm. it's likely that I will make everything really hard, really aggressive, because that's how I tend to demo, despite what you just heard. I'll do like all my voice as far as it will go, because I think that sounds awesome. And I don't want to sing low and I don't want to sing soft. I just want to go, you know. Left to my own devices, our records would sound like that, and um, which might not be the best thing. That's really interesting. The other question we always ask everybody is a piece of advice, whether you've received advice or whether through the experience of being in everything, everything, you've come out the other side thinking, you know what, I would really pass this on to anybody who's embarking on this journey. I think experimentation is a word that people use and they don't actually do it. And we, we don't do masses of it, but I think every time something really magical happens, it's because we're in an area we're not actually comfortable in. And when our most boring songs that you never hear happen, it's because we've done it a million times. And so every time we've experimented on this record, something good's happened, be it the teletype thing at the start or what happened at the very end. It's a really important part of creativity is to push yourself into somewhere you don't know what you're doing. You know, open an, a drum kit you've never used before if, if you're programming drums or use a chord you never played before or a mode you don't like. <laughs> All these things. Don't be precious is basically one of the main Don't things. Don't get too comfortable because yeah. the music just starts to suck as soon as you are. Yeah, we tended to like work early in our career. We worked tracks for perhaps the ages to the point where, you know, everyone sort of hated the song and eventually we'd have to let it go because it wasn't right and... I think now we're we're kind of more at a stage where we, if you write something and you think the next day 
or whatever it's not quite right or good enough we tend to just kill things much quicker and we're not precious about anything or or i can john will send me a track like that and be like do whatever you want with it yeah you know and i'll do whatever i want with it and vice versa you know that can just happen and i think that just comes from being around and doing it for a long time and just trusting who you're working with or whatever was this a particularly creative time do you think around raw data field because you ended up a 14 track album you no know, it's pretty big yeah we weren't intending to put that many out and then it got to the point where we were like well actually we like all of them so let's just put them all out and it kind of summed up a period of time where we just you know, we made 14 tracks in like however many months it was you know three or four months or whatever it just felt like a nice thing to put out to the world i think um, there's a few things that going for it which is firstly it was it was a surprise that we had to make it at all so we didn't have the usual time to prepare and i think that was good um, we had to make it in record time so that sort of breathes creativity for some people and it i think it does for us so we were just going this is good this is good let's do it rather than mm, is it good shall we rewrite it you know it was a lot of just bang 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 alex was in control of how it sounded so that was another reason why it could be as idiosyncratic as we wanted it to be um there was no fifth person to go through to change everything around and also it was written after, to be honest, a hell of a lot of turbulence in basically all of our lives. And I mean, everyone everyone experienced the pandemic, but there were sort of things within pandemics that we've gone into a bit tonight that sort of ratcheted up the stress or the change in our lives. And that happened actually to three out of four of us, perhaps all of us actually, in quite a major way. And whether you realize it or not, that does get into the music and it tends to result in, in the best stuff actually. Mm. And do you think this is the blueprint now with Alex taking control of the production yeah. and kind of challenging yourself by getting things done really quickly, new shorter deadlines? I think if he feels inspired by doing it, then yes. But as soon as he doesn't, then we should not do it <laughs> mm. because it will. I mean, I don't care about him. I just I just <laughs> think the, the, the record we made that day would probably suffer if he wasn't feeling energized by it. I think that's what has been captured is the excitement in a producer. And when you work with a producer who's made 800 records and they might not even like your band, we've been pretty lucky, but you have to have, everyone has to be excited by what you're doing. Otherwise you miss out on huge areas of creativity that would be there otherwise, I think. It's been brilliant to be able to talk to you about these songs and, and about the album. Thank you so much for taking the time out in the, the busy touring schedule and joining us here in Fiction Studios. We should play out with one more song from the album, another selection from the 14. What do you think you're going to go for? I think we said Shark Week, did we? Yeah, go for it. Why not? It's got quite a different vibe. <laughs> <laughs> here we go. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a moment, do tell your friends and leave us a review. It all really helps. Thanks to those of you who have already donated to the show. I'm just one part of the team that brings you tape notes. It relies on your support. If you'd like to donate, please head to our website. Once again, thank you for listening. Until next time, goodbye. Fingers on the dial, it's a pleasure for me to call police. 